Carrie, can you open us up in prayer? I can. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the beautiful morning outside that it is, God. And uh, Father, I just thank you, uh, Father, we, that we do know you as healer, Father, for those that are well this morning. I just pray your healing touch upon them, God. And uh, Father, I thank you for again for the service this morning, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word never comes back void. So, Father, I pray for um, just softened hearts, Lord, that we would have um, just open ears and, and receptive hearts, Father, that our spirits would be encouraged and, and convicted this morning, that we would be quick to respond, Father, and that you would be pleased, Lord, with our worship this morning, God, and that um, we would just leave this place different than when we came in, Father, and that it would be all to your glory and all to your honor, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.
Father, I thank you, Lord. God, that your word declares that you first loved us. Father, you displayed, God, your great love for us by laying your life down. And through, Father, the cross of God came the resurrection, this hope of of a new life. coming to to Christ and receiving salvation, God. We are now at peace with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray, God, as we open your word today, God, that we would be encouraged, Father, to be reminded of your great love and, Father, how you've called us out of the darkness and to your marvelous light, that we would be bearers of the good news reflection of this great love so that others would come to know that you so loved the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever will believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So may we focus and fix our eyes on you, Father, as we come to sit at your feet, Lord. Speak to us, Father, individually and collectively. God, that we would go forth from this place to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'll make sure everyone's got a copy of this. I'm um, finishing kind of what I started last week. Knowing our why. I want to kind of go back and kind of put um, kind of our values in front of us, our vision. And last week I added our why to it. We spoke last week as well about, we can get so caught up doing our what. But when we lose our why behind our what, our what can be very draining. It could just become works. It could just be, this is just what we do, because this is what we do. But I'm hoping to encourage us and inspire us to remember our why. Our why. As individuals, as believers, as Christians, and then as a fellowship. As we celebrate our nine years gathering in this place. And we've seen so much come and go, and has experienced so much. And it's like what Melissa and I were talking last night. One thing has remained constant. It's his truth and his love. God help us never to water that down. But always allow that to be what we raise up. Jesus. His truth. His love. Our values here. Love, unity, transparency, accountability, and growth. Our foundation has to be love. Has to be love. And we're going to talk about that today. And it's this line that I took from the movie Risen, The Risen. Mm-hmm. 
where the guy says, our greatest weapon is love. Wow, that's so true. Our greatest weapon is love. As believers, our greatest weapon is love. But we, and it's been around for nine years as a fellowship, the foundation of our fellowship and of our Christian lives has to be love because from that we can build unity. And from unity, we can then be brought into a place of transparency. That we can genuinely be transparent and real first before God and then before man. And we've got to remember that. We're not looking to build weird, codependent, unhealthy relationships with each other. And the way to avoid that is first being transparent before God. And truly receiving the fullness of His salvation and acceptance. Because once we know that we are secured in Christ, we won't try to develop relationships with individuals to try to find that sense of security or purpose. You know, we can then establish, if we, if we seal it in Christ and, and know our identity in Christ, and the relationships that we build can be <laughs> secured relationships, even if you hurt me, or even if I hurt you. Because ultimately we can come back to a place of reconciliation. A place of forgiveness. A place of wholeness. All because of Christ. And so from transparency, it leads us into accountability. That we encourage each other, that we edify each other, that we build each other up. And that we don't don't neglect that. That we just don't coddle each other. But that we can boldly speak truth to each other. And sometimes, as we've all experienced sitting in here, truth can hurt. Because at the time we're experiencing whatever we're experiencing, that most likely is the last thing we want to hear, is truth. I want to feel this way. I have a right to feel this way. And so we put up all the walls, we put up all the issues, and we withdraw. But we're not to withdraw. (laughs) It may take a day or so to kind of let truth set in. But one thing that we can know is that if our foundation is love, then the truth and accountability in which we hold each other to is from love. And hopes to continue to to, to encourage us to keep persevering, to keep moving on and growing and maturing. Because that's what finally is the final outcome is growth. And not growth by numbers, if you would, but growth by maturing. Individuals maturing and this new nature in which we have been given because we've been born again. These are our values. And uh, stay here. Uh, remember what we value, you do. And we want to be a healthy, functioning members of the body of Christ. Each of us, as children of God, as, as members of the body of Christ, and we're going to see this today as we kind of talk about fellowship. Each of us need to be healthy. We need each other. God has given us each other. The church is a gift, if you would. He brings us together collectively so that in our workings and in our doings, if you would, His love is being manifested. Because you remember, they will know that we belong to Him by our love for one another. And so we want to build a fellowship. We want to build relationships. 
because we recognize we need each other. We all have a vital part in the kingdom of God. We all have a vital part, and we need to be healthy. And even when we're wounded, or even if we're hurting, or even if, you know, whatever the issue may be, we're still needed because that's when we surround each other. That's when we, we can come and comfort each other and pray for each other. But we must grow. We must mature. We must continue to, to persevere. And then our vision is called to encourage, edify, and equip the body of Christ in order to radically save souls to advance His kingdom. Not our purpose, but His kingdom. And then our why so that others would come to accept Jesus as Lord and experience true freedom. The why behind what we do and who we are. It's our hopes that others would come to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior so that they would genuinely experience true freedom. True freedom. Nine years ago when I was praying, for what God has placed on Gilda's and I's hearts as we stepped out by faith. And I was asking God, God, what would, what would be our name? <laughs> Who would we be in the True Freedom Fellowship? True meaning genuine. Freedom that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And then a fellowship, a family that will experience this together as we mature in our relationship with Christ and as we mature in our relationships with each other. And as you're going out there, there and building relationships with other people, we talked about this on Friday night, get out there, start having spiritual conversations with people. Live your life before them. Humble yourselves. Be a servant. Above all, that's what we want to encourage each other in. To go serve. Because that's what Jesus did. He's our example. He served. But ultimately, he loved. Because again, if we're just out there doing the works and going about our religious ways, but we are not loving, that amounts to nothing. Remember, love is our greatest weapon. And think about this, you all. When we think about Jesus, God himself came as a man. And his desire was to reveal love. That his love would be made known and expressed to all creation. Remember what we've been talking about. Even before Adam and Eve sinned, even before the foundations of, of, of the earth and of the worlds, God purposed, had already purposed the cross. The cross wasn't an afterthought. Oh, now what do we do? Our creation rebelled against us. Oh no, the rebellion did not surprise God. cross was purposed 
Because it's through the cross that love is displayed to all creation. And we know that the enemy, Satan, this created, if you would, worshiper, this angel, this messenger, who became so prideful and arrogant that he thought that he could rise up above God's throne. But his ways has been exposed. He has been dealt with. And a third of the angels as well, these demons, they've been dealt with. But isn't it interesting that God, who purposed the cross, that even while Jesus was in his public ministry, the demons knew who he was, and they knew the time was coming. Remember the word says that they even know the word of God and they tremble at it. The Bible talks about how the enemy knows soon when Jesus returns. That he knows he's going he's to pour out his fury because he knows his time is growing shorter. So if we look at not the worldly sense of love, but the expression of love that was displayed on the cross, when we think about God's love and how God's love has been so watered down on the earth, and we've made, we have made it so common, and we've made Him so common, and that is just the plan of the enemy, to try to deceive mankind and miss out on the glorious fact the proof of God's love for mankind and to all creation. The cross. And willingly laying down his life. Now listen, God could have just spoken a word and shook this very place. God could work in ways that would just crush us if he wanted to. But because of his great love, because of his mercy, he said, no, I will go and show them what love is. Love is our greatest weapon. What defeated, ultimately, Satan? The cross. The resurrection. It's through the cross and the resurrection that sin and death have been defeated. The enemy has been exposed. He's been dragged out into the open because of the cross and the resurrection. His power has been stripped. He cannot have power over believers. He cannot have power to influence us. Because we, through Christ, have received not only such great love, but his victory. And we can walk in the fullness of this love. Because just as he expressed it, he calls, he calls us to express it. 
No greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. And so as we become believers, and, and as we come to the place of accepting Christ, we consider the cost, we, we realize it's going to cost us everything, but it's worth it. To lay our lives down and say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And then to go out into this world and be bearers of this good news, of this hope. Beyond the temporalness of life, this hope of eternal life with Jesus. The hope. And that's what he's commissioned us to do. Go. Be my ambassadors. Serve. But above all, make sure all that you do, you do it out of love. Listen, we're all growing and we're maturing in our, in our relationship with Christ. Listen, remember our goal isn't perfection. Our goal is just maturity. And we were talking about this last night as I've been praying through this week for our time together. And I was sharing a little bit with Melissa last night. I said, as I've been praying for this week, you know, we all of us, all of us can, if I went around the room and asked each of you to give an account where you failed God, we all could. And we could probably sit here for days. <laughs> time and time and time and time and time and time again. That we have failed him. Oh, but such great love. The Bible says that a righteous man falls at time, but he gets back up. We, we go about our day to day and we, we get tripped up, we, we fall in, we, we, we get wallowing up in the, in the slime and the muck and all the crud of the earth and the temporalness of life. But because of his great love, we can throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. We can receive the fullness of his forgiveness. And we can get right back up and get grown where we left off. He doesn't stand there with his arms folded, demanding of us to come grovel to him. And he doesn't speak over our lives, well look how pathetic you are. You can't do nothing right. You're an insult to my image and my name. No, he doesn't do that. Remember, his purpose is to reveal such great love to all creation. And not just one time, but many times in our life, because people are watching. So let them see you trip and fall and get dirty. But ultimately, let them see you get up and go, wait a minute, and humble yourself. Before God. Restore relationships that maybe you broke. Because of your attitude. Serve the ones that despise you. Forgive. And forget. Listen. No greater love is ever expressed. That we can get up. And not be held down. But get up. 
and allow this love to be expressed in our lives. Listen, we're not living to live to please man. In our lives, we're called to live to please God. And so many times we get taken into captivity because we forget of His great love for us. Somehow He doesn't love me now. Somehow I'm just too much of a failure. Oh, let us, let us remember when we start thinking those thoughts were those, where, what influences us, the lies of the enemy, who come to challenge not only God's identity, but your identity in him. Where does that, can you, if we really grasp the fullness of truth, when we hear those lies, we should be able to recognize and go, no, wait a minute. He loved me, yet though I was in complete rebellion towards Him. And His love didn't stop when we came to know Him. But His love doesn't allow us to remain enslaved. No, His love compels us to come from that place. Because He reminds us of this great love. So we don't stay in sin... (laughs) No, we get up from it, receive his forgiveness, we, re- we go and we reconcile with others, and we just keep getting up and we just keep moving forward. We just keep getting up and we just keep moving forward. We just keep getting up and we just keep persevering. Love being displayed time and time and time again. And if I went around the room and I asked each of you, testify of the goodness of God. You too could testify of times in your life when God has been good. And we could probably spend days doing that. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His love endures forever. Remember love? The greatest weapon. Remember we talked about King Jehoshaphat, how even before the armies, they put the worshipers in front of the armies? Sing unto the Lord. And they, yet though they were called to face their enemies, They didn't have to battle. The Lord took care of them. If we would just learn to grow in love each and every single day, continue to grow in love, ask Him for the strength and for the wisdom to continue to grow in love. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. These scriptures we're going to read today, as the scriptures we read last week, I'm hoping to fan the flame for our why. For our why. The why behind our what. To truly have a fullness of of understanding 
love. In order for us to know our why, we've got to understand love. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and, I've had, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. See, we can go about and do our what. We can go about and do, but if we're not loving, it means nothing. You see, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. I don't know about you, but I think a lot of times, I know for myself throughout this walk, with Christ, it's easy to kind of put truth or scripture so hard to reach or to obtain. Well, Jesus could be because he's God. I can't because I'm man. I'm only human. And if you've been around me long enough, I hate that phrase because it has kept me enslaved many seasons throughout my life and the beginning of my walk with Christ. And you know where I picked it up from? When I came into fellowship and to the church. Before I stepped into a church, you couldn't have told me that none of this was obtainable through Christ, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If Christ says it, then I believed it. And then I realized he's given me everything I need to live a godly life because I had the Holy Spirit within me in whom I am dependent upon to live this life because in and of myself, I know how Rob would live. But all of a sudden, when I got around good religious church folk, They were giving me the right, if you would, to sin. We get around people who, who were just all just about religious works and, and keeping up appearances. We then take God and we take his truth and we kind of put it way out there. And it's not even obtainable, but strive for it. But you're just human. If I'm just human, 
and I'm just going to live out of my human nature. I reconciled many years ago, once I went through a season of torment, If I'm just human and all I'm ever going to do is just keep on sinning, keep on being in rebellion towards God, then what he accomplished really wasn't victory. These were my faults. So I had to go back to scripture and I had to get back to the basics of truth. Oh, God, you said it is finished. You said sin and death have been defeated. You said that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. In your word, you give us a picture when you birth the church to go forth. To declare the good news. To be an expression of love, of hope, of freedom. Not because of our doing, all because of what you did. I said, God, I don't want to believe lies any longer that are, that are tormenting, that keeps me enslaved when I know that you've done great things. And in doing great things, you've given me the hope to accomplish what you've purposed for me to do. Remember we read in the scripture where it says God has purposed us to do good works? Mm -hmm. Not so that we can be seen, but that he will be seen. And he said, what is all, what is all that you just said have to do with love? Can we go back to verse 4? Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whether the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstances. The way of maturing, you all. We can obtain this walk in this life through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says if we walk according to the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. If we truly seek daily to be an expression of His love, wouldn't it be nice for others to know that you are patient and kind? That you're not jealous or boastful or proud or rude? That you do not demand your own way. That you're not irritable. That you keep no record of being wrong. That you do not rejoice about injustice, but you rejoice when the truth wins out. That you never give up. <laughs> that you never lose faith. That you are always 
hopeful, and that you always endure through every circumstance. Because of love. And yes, we can look at that and go, oh, but I'm not this, and oh, I've got a problem with this, and oh, I'm not too good at that. It's okay. It doesn't surprise God. But if you can see the areas in which you need to grow and mature in, then let it be so. Don't ever uphold God's word and be condemned by it or shamed by it or guilt by it. Whenever you see that you're quote-unquote not measuring up, that's conviction. That's the Holy Spirit wanting to grow you and to mature you. Don't give up, Rob. Seemed a little bit stressed and irritable, Rob. I can make all the excuses. Oh, you don't have my day one. We don't know what they did to me. This and that. and uh, uh. We can choke on our own vomit. But wouldn't it be incredible if we were able to allow our new creation, our core new identity to be our first nature that we live in instead of our second. Listen, we're not to be products any longer of the fall. We're to be products, lives, of, now of the resurrection. And God, I want to grow like this. And it's okay to get before Him. God, I want to be patient. Work it in me, Lord. God, I want to be able to keep no records of being wrong. God, help me give this, them to you. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. And then when, when our time's together, it's where it comes to being like you would transparent. To be able to share, you know, this is what God has really just been revealing to me. And I would appreciate your prayers. Hold me accountable. Just don't dismiss my bad attitude as, oh, that's just Norma. No, love Norma enough to be able to say, sister, he's up. That's not who you are. Remember the truth of your identity now in Christ. She may push back against me because maybe at that time she doesn't want to hear truth. But it's not my truth. It's not your truth that you're giving her. It's the, the truth. And she has the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will begin to bring conviction to her life. And before you know it, she'll find herself in repentance before the Father and then she'll come and she'll be able to say, you know what? Thank you for loving me enough to tell me the truth. Scripture and, and the Christian life, don't, don't let it stay way out there as if it's unattainable. Because if we live that way, then basically what we're saying is, Christ, you're, you're so common and your blood is common and really there's enough power behind it. That's not true. Great power, great love has been displayed. He is triumphant. He is risen indeed. He is seated at the right hand of the Father.
and a place of authority. This is our God. That's why we have to apply truths to our lives. Remember, it just can't be words that we're hearing and that we do nothing with. That's not the Christian life. It's not about just gathering whenever the church is open to gather and okay, and then you just go back out and live however you want and somehow think that you're a Christian. That's not how it works. No, it's applying the truths of God's words as the Holy Spirit is working it in us. But could you imagine if a group of people, the church, the body of Christ, reflected scriptures, the scriptures between 4 and 7? People will still hate us, but others would come to know Christ in almost an incredible revival because of it. Could you imagine if you and people that surround you on a day-to-day basis, if they really began to witness you living this way? The impact that your life would have to see other captives set free. To see other captives set free. Let us never forget what we have received. Such great love, such great freedom and hope. And as we freely receive, let us freely give. He goes on and says, Prophecy and speaking and unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see these things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Verse 37 and 38. All right, yeah. 37 through 40. Jesus replied. This is, as, this is after he's been asked. Now let's just move up back to 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert of the religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
Second, it's equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What is the greatest commandment of all? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. To love the Lord your God, you all. He has begun this work in us. He first loved us. He calls us to himself. He he is faithful. This is another great promise. He is faithful to complete what he has begun. The book of Psalms talks about that he will not neglect the work of his hands. And I think I've shared with you all before, sometimes in different seasons of my life, that has been the prayer that has really sustained me. My God, you promised that you will not neglect the work of your hands. Father, I am the work. And I know that you will not neglect me. No matter my circumstances, no matter what I may be facing, no matter how life may be pressing up against me or the enemy breathing down my neck, I know, God, that you will not neglect me. For I am the work of your hands. Oh, children of God, if we would just truly believe in in the one in whom we call upon, the one in whom we say, is our God. That we would know Him <coughs> intimately. Because we are known by Him. Intimately. He knows you. He's not surprised. The areas in your life that still need to be matured. He knows exactly where you are this morning. And he knows exactly what you need in order to mature and to grow in the likeness of who he is. But he replies, what's the greatest commandment of the Lord your God? And then, love your neighbor as yourself. If we get these if we understand this, wow, the impact that we will make in our communities, in our families, in our day-to-day lives. And we would just get over ourselves. Go to, back to 1 Corinthians. Now we're going to look at chapter 12. Because as we're growing, as we're maturing, as we're loving, we also have an understanding that each of us have been given a gift, if not gifts. That are to be, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's equipped us to do His purpose. And in doing so, He has given each of us gifts. And again, we cannot get confused and begin to exalt our gift above our God. We shouldn't put our gift ahead of our God and we shouldn't puff ourselves up because I have this gift and you don't. 
And we shouldn't strive to, to try to get someone else's gift because, look, it looks like they get all the attention and I'm just behind the scenes. The weird workings that happen within fellowships and in church, when the enemy comes prowling, <laughs> seeking whom he may devour, and he begins to stroke our ego, puffing us up because of our giftings. And then, instead of us all being on a level playing field, we begin to exalt different gifts as greater than others, and this is more of the importance and all of this. And before you know it, we get so lost in the gifts that we neglect God because we're no longer loving. Not, they're not based out of foundation of love. We turn into ourselves to try to accomplish things. But oh, that we would realize where the gifts come from and who, have, who, who maintains and matures and grows these gifts and the reason why the gifts were given in the first place is so that the body of Christ would function as she's called to. So now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your questions about special abilities the Spirit gives us, again, these scriptures I'm hoping to fan the flame of the why, of our why, as individuals and as a fellowship, that we would remember our why. I don't want you to misunderstand this. You know that when you were still pagans, you were led astray and swept along in worshiping speechless idols. So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts he alone decides which gift each person should have. I love how he begins to illustrate how they all work together. You see, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. 
If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not a part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. I love that. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some of the parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put together, I'm sorry, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members. Wow. So that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First apostles, some prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. So you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. But let me show you the way of life. That is best of all. And it ties right back into where we began. The greatest of these is love. Is love. But each of you and myself, we're equipped. God has equipped us with gifts. And these gifts have been given to each of us so that we can serve one another. To serve one another. And that our service always be grounded and rooted in love. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42. You see, as we mature in love, as we mature in our gifts, a community can be formed and is formed throughout the earth. The church, the bride of Christ, I love it when I meet new believers. And when I say new believers, I mean believers that I don't know already. Like you just run up, you know, you're out and about and you just meet people. And right away you could tell, huh? And there's this strong connection. I'll never forget when Gilda and I did that one host 
opportunity where we were taking, um, taking in the foreign students from China. And we went over to this, this home that we've never met the lady before or any other of the host families. But I'll never forget, I think I told Gilda this, I've probably shared this before, but I remember going in and I promise you, I felt like it was a family reunion. I didn't know any of these people, but there was such great love. And I mean, it was just a beautiful, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I didn't, I didn't feel like, oh, you know what? No, it was like as soon as you just walk in, it's just like, wow, and the house was packed. Inside, outside, every kids are running around. But all of them, it was just like, it was, it was like reuniting with the fam- my family. God, that's what it all to feel like. A family. And you just meet people. A community is birthed out of such great love being displayed as people come to know Christ, receive Him as Lord and Savior, this body is being formed and has been formed to do the will of God, the church, the bride of Christ. And remember, Jesus builds the church. And I love the fact that He says, and the gates of hell will not prevail. I love the fact that we see the church I mean, if you read Revelation and, and you really study and you see the, the beauty of the church and his love for his bride. Wow. A community is formed. And look at this. I love this picture here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Wow. This beautiful expression of God's love. Of God's love. Of people knowing who He is and who they are in Him. There was not a need among them. They were caring for each other. They were loving each other. You remember even in, in, even the letters that are being written to the church? And you've heard me say this time and time again. There's a constant theme in all of them. Grow up. Mature. Don't forget the gospel, the good news in which you received. Don't stray from it. Don't deny His power. And even Paul told one church, I can't give praise that you all meet. You're so divisive. Such division among you. Ah, come on. Remember, we're to be a community. We're to be a family. We're to know our why behind what we do. 
We're to know who He is and who we are in Him. And we're to know that we're called to just continue to mature and to grow. And that we're just loving and that we're just serving. And that we're getting over ourselves. And in loving and serving, we're not setting up expectations. Because if I do this, then this is how Melissa will respond. Care less how Melissa responds. That shouldn't be my ultimate goal. My goal is just to serve. Just to serve. Jesus came and he served. And he knew he was going to be rejected, despised by many, that he came to serve. That he would be beaten, that he would be mocked, that he would be spit upon, that eventually he would go to the cross. Oh, if we would live our lives. It's not having expectations or trying to manipulate God and manipulate man. (laughs) And we would just let us believers. That we would know our why. Go to Matthew 28. And then we're going to end with Hebrews after Matthew. But Matthew chapter 28. through 20. The Great Commission. You have a purpose. Remember, God's plan is that His love would be displayed so that all creation will see and know that He is God. drive us. It should be our, our drive every day as we get up. God, that your love will be displayed through my life so that all creation will know that you are God. That I would go forth this day putting aside myself knowing that I've nailed my desires and my passions to your cross. That I have received the fullness of your Holy Spirit that I am secured, that I have worth, that I have value. God, help me to remember that so I don't go seeking for it in the temporalness of this life. You see, listen, the need in human and mankind is to be loved, just to be accepted, to be loved. Do you not see the war that is raged and waged against love? Since the beginning. Since the beginning. And that's why as believers, we can rise up each day in the victory. Knowing that love has already been displayed. Now we're just walking in the fullness of it. Because of Christ. And we don't have to live enslaved any longer. That we can... Walk in the fullness of life. To be his hands, to be his feet. Such a war against love. Look how love is perverted. Yes, Hollywood can can write nice love stories. Artists can write nice love songs. Everyone is searching for love. Everyone's hoping to have a fullness of, of just being loved. 
accept it. I mean, look at the destruction in relationships, in the family unit, with the abuse that takes place. Look at even within the church where people should feel great love, how it's been stripped and people have been abused and neglected. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled people that have been molested or or abused by men in the church and even a woman in the church. Molesting a young girl, she was apprenticing as a worship leader. And this young girl had to watch every Sunday this woman get up on the platform and raise her hands to a, a God. Such love is trying to be destroyed on the face of this earth. And every time when I sit and I counsel people, they always ask me, where was God? He must not love me. Oh no. Don't believe that lie. There's a war raging and raging against love. To pervert it, to make it common, to make it useless. And everyone is seeking it. We just want to connect. We just want to belong. And oh, the great love of God. The great love of God. Displayed through the cross. So that all creation would know that He is God. And if believers, we need to really grasp this so that our lives are impacting those who are enslaved to the wrong concept of love. If we would get up, and as much effort as we live to live in our flesh, to pursue the things of the flesh before Christ, or even while we're growing, if we would put more energy and holding on to unforgiveness, <laughs> and to growing and maturing. Oh, how different our lives would be and have the impact that they would have on others. God commissions us to go, look what he says here, to his disciples. And as it was given to them, it's given to the church still to this day. I have been given, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I love this. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. Oh, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What great hope. If you haven't seen the movie The Risen, go this week. How they ended that movie, I'll give it away. It's the Great Commission. Jesus begins to walk. The sun, I believe, is rising or setting. Either way, the sun is there. And the disciples are here. And he's saying these words. And I remember sitting in the theater going, Oh, wow. I can't even imagine what it was like that. Just it was, de- it was declared to them, it's declared to you, to me, to the bride of Christ, to the church. Go, go, make disciples. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, oh, that the church would know her identity. We're not to water down the truth. We're not to strip him and make him so common. We're not to just make him nothing. There's a lot of people who are slapping Jesus to their life thinking that they're saved. And yet they don't know Jesus at all. You can tell by the way they live their life. They're not remorseful. They're not repentant of their lifestyle. They're just using Jesus' name because they've been sold a false gospel. Remember, I've, I've warned you all. If you ever hear the gospel preach and it gives you the right to yourself to keep doing the living however you want, that's not the gospel. You better run from it. That gospel is, has been introduced and will continue to be introduced to the church to try to deceive her, to try to confuse her, to, stri- to try to strip Christ of all that he accomplished, to try to hinder the view of his love, to distort it. Oh no. We're not to water it down. Let's remember when the multitudes were following Jesus. And he was at the time in his ministry when he was ready to reveal to them really who he was and his purpose, his why. I'm the bread of life. And he lays out this incredible spiritual teaching. (laughs) And do you remember what the multitude said? This is too hard to understand. What is he saying? We don't get this. And they turned. And they left him. And I always have said, and you've heard me say this, if I was writing the Bible, that's where I would have placed Jesus wept. Like, hey, Jesus, your ministry just failed in one day. Oh, but no, it didn't fail. He knew their hearts, the Bible said. He stood there and watched the multitude go their way. Then he looked at the twelve and said, Are you going to? Where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. You see, we have to get to that place, you all. We just can't be like the ones who walk for so long and then be like, oh, this is just too hard and we'll be trying to go our way. No. You've got to get to a place like those disciples that says, what is there to return back to? I don't want to be like a dog that goes back to its vomit to lick it up. No, God, you hold the words to eternal life. So I'll follow you. Well, you realize following me is going to cost you everything. You realize the Son of Man doesn't even have a bed to lay his head. You realize if they hate me, they're going to hate you. But God, you hold the words to eternal life. I'll follow you. I'm not basing my life on the temporalness of this life. God, I'll follow you. 
You realize it's a narrow road and not that many people are going to be on it. God, it's okay. God, you hold the words to eternal life. I will follow you. You realize you're going to be hurt and rejected, abused, neglected. God, I'll follow you. I realize you hold the words to eternal life. If we just get to a place of maturity where we're just like, God, my life is not my own. You've called me to go. So here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. You've filled me with your Holy Spirit. You've given me everything I need. And I'm not complete. I'm not perfect while I'm with you. So I don't have to measure up to a standard that, that always has to beat me down. No, I can recognize that in me there's still things that you are working on and growing and healing and maturing. So don't let my eyes shift to my weakness. No, I'll keep my eyes set upon your strength. The author and the finisher of my faith. Let's close in Hebrews chapter 10. A call to persevere. Oh, that we would remember our why. Oh, that we would get excited to be Christians in this generation. Oh, that we would recognize and know our purpose. That we would live a life satisfied in Christ. Not satisfied when all of our circumstances are better. Or when the enemy's not breathing down our neck. No, just satisfied in Christ. And in Christ alone. Can you imagine waking up every day? I was out at the lacrosse field yesterday. And I was sitting there during the halftime. And I went over and I kind of sat on these little bleachers. And I began just to scan the, the field. There's so many games and so many people out there. And I was just like, wow. all throughout the earth. All throughout there are so many people. And yet, God, you love every single one of them. God, who's impacting their lives? Oh, God. And I just pray that God just keep renewing that, that vision, that call. No matter my circumstances, no matter what's ahead or what's behind, but God, that you would ever present be remind me day in and day out of the opportunities that you will give me to be able to be an expression of your love to all creation. And that not be based on how man receives me. Or what man thinks. But God, I would just honor you living my life. And then I begin to pray for us. As a fellowship. That we would be a people. That would go out. Into our communities. Into our workplaces. Into our schools. And just be able to just trust in God. We don't have to be ashamed of him. We don't have to strip him. 
and give them a common God. No, He needs to be holy. He needs to be God Almighty. And we should rejoice in the fact that He calls us His own. And I'll go tell others. But listen, there's a lot that presses up against us. We know that. You all know what hinders you daily. But oh, that we would remember the call to persevere. That you would not grow weary in doing good. That you would not give up or back down. That you would stand with the assurance that God, you are God. You are victorious. And I think it's about time we start reminding ourselves that daily. You know, the enemy was breathing down Moses and the Israelites' necks. God was leading them. (laughs) And they found themselves standing before the body of water. What do we do? Could you imagine, sometimes I just sit and I think, could you imagine them hearing the chariot wheels? Probably hearing in the distance the, the armies screaming or carrying on, just the sound of the enemy coming. What do we do? It looks like there's no hope. sudden, he instructs his servant. The seat parts. They begin to walk through. Some of us may be in the seasons in our life where we're standing before the sea. And all we hear is the clinging of the enemy running up behind. Trust in the one who says, don't look upon your enemy. Look upon me, he says. And I will part the sea. Such great love will be displayed because I already displayed it. So that all creation will know that I am God. That's why we can trust him. No matter what we're facing. No matter what we will face. That's why you've heard me saying, can't be God now. And then he's not God when we get the phone call that one of our family members has dropped dead. He can't be God now and then all of a sudden our nation's attacked or the financial collapses or, or things just happen. All of a sudden everything is shifted. Now all of a sudden you're not God. No, no, no. We don't live that way. He's God. He's God. And we are called to persevere. Don't grow weary. Chapter 10 in Hebrews, verse 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new, wow, and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. 
And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. I love verse 23 here. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways uh, to motivate one another in acts of love, and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering? Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule, and you were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when you all, I'm sorry, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. Wow. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the, one, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The call to persevere. The call to persevere. Don't make him common. And don't treat his blood as if it's common. And you heard me say it before, we cannot live lives where we're just trampling on on his blood and just splashing it up on people and it means nothing. It means nothing. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God will not be mocked. He 
God. So don't be like those who turn away. Don't be like those who turn back. No, continue to persevere, you all. Continue each day the sand, the flame within. Go out there and burn bright. Go out there and build relationships. Go out there and serve and love others. Holding up a standard. Never, ever, ever strip the standard in hopes that they would come to know him. And I've encouraged y'all before, stop giving them the benefits of the kingdom before you give them the king. Stop telling them all what God wants to do and just go and God's going to do it for you without letting them know there's a cost. Consider the cost in following Jesus. <laughs> We've got to stop trying to manipulate His truth and who He is. You know, we're just to go forth and be an expression of His love that has already been displayed through the cross of Christ. Through His resurrection the hope of, 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 of eternity with Jesus. Sin separates. And I've encouraged y'all before, stop having more concern about people's temporalness on this earth than their eternity. You should care more about their eternity to tell them the truth. Tell them of the one who came to display love, who loves them, who calls them to himself through such a sacrifice. Teaching them to obey all of his commands. Oh, and enjoying the community of believers, you all. It's my prayer, not only for our fellowship, but for the church at large that there would be such a, a, a revival within the church to really enjoy Christian fellowship and keeping it a Christian fellowship. It's a lot of weird stuff going on nowadays under the, the umbrella of the church. But you must be attentive not to get distracted. But you all sitting here, I would just encourage you Start with the relationships here. Encourage each other. Love on each other. Don't neglect in coming and partaking of our times together. Get out there. Encourage other people. If they don't have a church home, bring them. If they do, encourage them to make sure that they're loving their fellowship that they're actively involved in their fellowship. Because ultimately we're the community of believers and each of us are needed to fully function as the body of Christ. Know our why. Know your purpose. But ultimately know your God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close with this song and then I'll close this in prayer. Can I share what I shared with you? Yes. Um... This just encouraged me, and I wanted to encourage you as well. Or, um, our, our identity in Christ reminds us that our hope is built on nothing less than the strongest foundation of our God, through very own faithfulness. Our identity in Christ reminds us that tomorrow is often, is often a question on hold. 
but God knows exactly how life will unfold. Mm. Our identity in Christ reminds us that love is when God writes his name on our hearts. Mm. Our identity in Christ reminds us that whatever comes our way has already passed God's inspection. I'm not afraid.